broadcast TV by no means is dead, it still remains one of the top performers in terms of ROI. It's the best way, I believe, to connect with your local audience. When it comes to establishing a personal injury brand, don't skip the foundations. If you're coming out and you're new to this entire industry, I would say that your biggest goal is to have a call to action and make that clearly visible upon the app and then have a caring sentiment to follow that. That should be your mainstay. You're listening to Personal Injury Mastermind, where we give you the tools you need to take your personal injury practice to the next level. Since 2002, Whiteheart has specialized in legal marketing for mass torts and personal injury firms. The Nashville-based agency specializes in TV and digital advertising, video production and creative design, call center intake, and contract signups. I sat with Director of National Marketing and Mass Torts Strategist Sarah Parisi to dig into the fundamentals of media buying, what makes a great creative, and the future of data mining for a more accurate picture of campaign ROI. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. We help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings with search engine optimization. Being at the forefront of marketing is all about understanding people. So let's get to know our guest. Here's Sarah Parisi, Director of National Marketing, Master Strategist at Whiteheart. I graduated from the University of Tennessee. And, um, you know, my senior year, I'm going back to Nashville. That's where my family lives, you know, north of Nashville. So I'm from here and didn't really know what I was going to do. I had my advertising degree and uh, my senior professor, my senior thesis professor, she knew Brad Warmer, who is currently our chief operations officer. And they were looking for a media auditor. And so I came down to interview. It was like a kind of snowy day in Nashville in December of 2010. And they hired me and I never left. Kind of a weird unicorn story because, you know, we found that those with advertising degrees often at this stage in, you know, the country, if you will, this year, it really was difficult to get into an agency. You are the unicorn. It's like, you know, now it's like every year people are, you know, retaining your, your staff and it's like a bloodbath trying to hire good, it's good talent. It really is. It it really is. But I loved it. I loved the atmosphere. It was very small then too. So we didn't have, we had, I think I was like the 20th person hired, maybe the 20th. So, um, it was an old house on music square. So if you are familiar with Nashville, um, that's like music row, where all the uh, recording labels are. And we actually, the house that we were in was Chet Atkins' old home. Now I will tell you, I have no idea what songs he sings, but I do know that that's whose home we were in and we were right across the street from Reba McIntyre's place. Very cool, very cool. So let's talk about your trajectory here. You know, from media buyer to director of national marketing as a mass torch strategist, kind of let's talk about that trajectory because you know, I've watched some other videos with you. You have a very broad skill set. So let's talk about that journey. I started as a media auditor. And what that means is basically local TV station invoices come in once a month. And we need to make sure that local stations aired our stuff where it was supposed to be aired. It seems, you know, like, well, why wouldn't they? But if you're in this industry, you very well know that sometimes things run not where they're supposed to. So it was a grueling task. At this point in time, I mean, we were dealing with paper. I had to print them out 
thousands of sheets of paper. We actually mailed physical completed audits for billing. We mailed them to the clients like via the you know post office, not via email. So it was a grueling task that I just thought, look, I have an agency job. We've got to kill this. This is, you know, my career's coming up. So we had an opening for a buyer about a year later and I was ready to rise up, ready to go. And so started my, I I knew all the clients and I knew the placements. I understood the strategy because I was immersed in it. I was constantly reviewing, you know, where are 30 second spots aired? How many spots aired on Tuesdays? How many spots aired on Fridays? You know, I knew everything about all of our local clients. So the transition into buyer really was just teach me this new software that I have to send orders on. Were there situations where they're just throwing you in the terrible slots, like that people don't watch, you know, they didn't watch, they didn't get any impressions, or was it just, they just completely left you off? And maybe you're paying for airtime and you just didn't get any of it or a combination of both. So, yeah, well, we send out annual orders. So really what was some of the main flaws or main, you know, uh, we call them discrepancies. And that was another piece of the job. Like when you found these discrepancies, it was my job to email this station rep and say, hey, um, you you didn't air this correctly and and I'm going to need a credit. And so that kind of puts you in an awkward situation, especially just coming right out of college. You're like, man, I don't want to make anybody upset, but it's really, it's about the job. So it's a whole personality evolution. But to answer your question, mainly the errors that come about are when our spots are preempted, they don't air. They want to replace them as quickly as they can in order to make their full commission. And so spots would get put back into rotation, but they weren't approved by me. They wouldn't be a bur- or Kylie or whomever the, the buyer was at the time. I say Kylie because she and I have been together at Whiteheart for a very long time. So it would be putting spots back in places where we had no business in our strategy, uh, you know, no reason to be in that time frame. More importantly, one of the biggest hiccups or blunders that they could commit would be not changing out the creative as requested. So there are a variety of reasons, you know, clients come to us to shoot their commercials. They spend a lot of money on those ads. So when they're done and they're approved, they want them on air. And for a station to not put the newest creative on air as the client had hoped, well, then he's not liable for, or he or she is not liable to pay that. So that was really one of the biggest offenses that I came across is, you know, the miscommunication, not even a miscommunication, just they didn't do it. Or especially if the state bar would reach out and say, hey, pull this ad. If they don't do that, then we are definitely not paying for that because we have the notice we sent it out. So interesting. I think discrepancies is about the lightest version of what you could call that. I know, uh, right? It's like, oh, uh, well, I call them station credits. And then they want to send over a um, a credit memo. And I'm like, no, it's, it's a discrepancy. Like, I'm going to be put this like as politely as I can to you. Like, this is an error. <laughs> Right, right. So let's talk about media buying for PI for personal injury law firms. That's the majority of our audience. You know, when it comes to media buying for personal injury firms, you know, what's the fundamentals? What does everyone need to know? You are not your audience. My uh, battle cry, if you will, would be, I know you guys want to see your commercials. Of course, anybody wants to see themselves on TV, but that's not what you're watching isn't necessarily going to make the phone ring. And so it was a whole learning curve in terms of, I know, for one, I love the Today Show, but it's a pricey piece to buy and it's not necessarily going to have the best ROI. So there's a demographic disconnect, I think, between 
wanting to see your commercials air on TV and wanting to get your phone ring, to ring. So that was really what we were communicating through these strategy and these implementation meetings. And I guess the different demographics that you're targeting, all different strategies there and knowing the fundamentals, first of all, it's, it's kind of like one of those things, like when you're a law firm trying to choose the right partner, what questions do they need to be asking? How do they identify a strong media buyer? Like, like how do they go in to make, even make this decision? So I have um, a, a great piece of advice that's given to me from Brad Warmer. Um, he was kind of the person who guided me all the way through my trajectory. So my successes, I'm just, I tell him I was on his coattails, just like a little duckling following right back along. But he mentored me greatly. And, and a couple of key things that he said to me was one of them being, we are not an agency that sets it and forgets it. A constant rotation. So when you're dealing with agencies who they place your orders and they're like, that's that, done. That it, it, it cannot possibly, after being in this industry for as you know, 11, almost 12 years, that is going to cost you because at the end of the day, stations change out programming, the quarterly rates change. In addition to, it's not like cyclical with seasonality, it could be an issue of maybe there's some drop off and we need to get off this network and put some money over here because the phone isn't ringing. So if your agency is not correlating your buy to your results, I would say huge red flag. And you shouldn't have to be the one to do that. A good agency is going to track that for you. That, right. That's my thing. I think of Alex Hermosi's, uh, his $100 million offers book, like what makes a good offer from the value exchange is the buyer has less effort sacrifice. They don't need to be doing that. It's it's the agency that you hire if it's a good offer. The other thing, I guess if you're set it and forget it, some of that discrepancy creep may start to occur. Like, oh, they're complacent. Let's just uh, add this here. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah, that would be my second point is not every agency does an audit. Some agencies are, they will they will cover the, co- uh, the bills. They'll pay the bills. Like, so the client does pay the agency and then it's agency to NIST to station. But for us, we perform an audit so quickly for our local clients that you're still able to pay within net 30, but let us make sure that this is right. Let us make sure that the money that you're paying them was what we intended for you to pay, for you intended to run, for your best success. So are they auditing your invoices? Are they, are they double checking and making sure that the orders were correct? And, you know, are they setting it and kind of forgetting it and not monitoring your results? It, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. And um, if, if you're feeling neglected, if you're feeling like they're not looking or you can't get an answer and email back, that's another big flag. We, you know, we have account services is our right-hand man over here. They're the ones that wave the flag for us. So we would like in a perfect world for us to be able to identify the problem and fix it before our clients have even seen an issue, seen a drop. We want to go ahead and get on the front front end of it. I think that's super smart. Those advanced retrospectives too, like, hey, what could go wrong here? I, I think all that plays into good service. You know, the other thing that's just very intriguing to me is the, the different types of creative and the strategies, right? So I, I don't watch a lot of a lot of TV, but you know, I've seen there's many hammers across the uh, the U.S. Yep. You know, there's the individual screaming. You know, have you been hurt? When it comes to the creative side, what have you seen move the needle? What do they need to do to have good creative to even think about this strategy? First, I, I know the, the clients that you're talking about, they're very eccentric and they already have a huge following. 
if you're coming out and you're new to this entire industry, I would say that your, your biggest you know, goal is to have a call to action and make that clearly visible upon the ad and then have a caring sentiment to follow that. Once you establish yourself in a market and you're known, you have a, you have a, a you know, brand step up, if you will, yeah, get a little crazy, you know, do whatever, you know, some of our clients, I think, uh, you know, we've gotten several, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's some lions and some of our ads and we know we've done alligators and bulls and, you know, everything across the board, but really what it stems down to is those clients already have a well-established brand within their market. We're not coming out of the gate with these ads that are going to make people's head turns. Although it does, it can work. You know, the crazier, some do say, but creative, I have always found what they do and, and being alongside with our production team, just, just fascinating for the point that, they have to take the agenda from what the client wants and then spin it up into a format that at the end of the day, they are happy with to see. So, you know, all the kudos to them, but I would say if you're coming into it brand new, don't get caught up in trying to, you know, be as flamboyant. You need a call to action. You need to come across as caring and compassionate. Really, that should be your mainstay for a bit. That's a great piece of advice. I, I see some attorneys they'll have a celebrity with them on you know in the ads is that just an extra credibility point is it a distraction it's distraction we've done it i think at the end of the day you'd like to have hope you would like to believe that this is going to give you that credibility if it were me and my money how much they're going to ask you to pay them for to be in their ad to be in your ad like unless they're your best friend i would i would invest my money elsewhere for the time until you have a well-established brand and then bring it on, make you look a little bit cooler. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I've never, I, I wanted to ask that because I've always seen that big price tag appended to that. We've done it. I think actually when I was, oh my gosh, my first year here at Whitehart, it was my very first summer. Um, one of our clients is friends with Aaron Rogers. Okay. Well, I am UT football. I know Peyton Man, and, and like, obviously the UT team at the time, but I had no idea who he was. And so they had me walk over a big bag of footballs. And I was like, I have this is for Aaron Rodgers design. Who's that? And I came home and, you know, it was telling my brother and my dad about that. And they're like, I'm sorry, who was there? And you did what? Just could not believe that I was just so like, I mean, does he play? <laughs> but I, I again. That's hilarious. That's awesome. Let's talk about uh, the future too. So, you know, how, yeah. what's, how's media buying changing? Not as many viewers for live TV and maybe going more to streaming, but I mean, there's still a huge audience on TV. Like how does the different channels kind of work? You know, where's it going? So I've always been a big believer in broadcast. That's inherent to me. Call it 11 years of drinking the Kool-Aid, but I'm going to still tell you that regardless of who is saying, you know, oh, everybody's going OTT or CTV, you know, we've got to be on you know the digital elements. Uh, no, don't worry about investing into broadcast. I then again tell you, to recognize your demographic. And broadcast TV by no means is dead. It still remains one of the top performers in terms of ROI. It's the best way, I believe, to connect with your local audience. Yes, you know, the digital elements, you know, PPC, you know, we break all of that into it, but in terms of people are still gonna watch their local news. And when they're hurt and they're at home laying on the couch, if they are cutting cable, which I believe that, and I have never been a big cable advocate. And I hope that's okay to say, I mean, I don't want to hurt any feelings or friends, but cable just to me, is just not as lucrative or viable. 
at all. It, it does not perform as well. Broadcast TV gives you those viewers who are tuning in to their local stations and markets and to their favorite time periods. You know, your price is rights. You're young and the restless. Those shows that they watch every single day. In the future for the horizon, I do, without a doubt, CTV, OTT devices, all of that is definitely, if you're not paying attention to it, oh boy, got a lot of work to do, but you can get there. It's going to be fine, but you should be paying attention to it and at least dabbling a bit. My only issue with these, the CTV devices and all that is the cost per impression. So when you're narrowing it all down, you're looking at your buy and you're saying, where can I get the, the most eyeballs for my money? In any local market, and I can tell you this, and you, some people may laugh at me, but just know that I did it for a very long time. Our goal was to be below $5 cost per 1,000 impressions. So $5 CPM. Wow. And if you didn't hit that, my boss, Brad, would bring back the folder to me and say, go try again. That's really, that's way lower okay. than I thought. It's when very I'm- aggressive and it's grueling and it's time consuming because you think about the make goods, you think about the impressions, and then you think about the station rep on the other end of this, who you're really going to get to know very well because no, your spots aren't going to stick. They will sometimes, but that's what you stick in there for. You know, if it's, if it's like, you know, a Black Friday sale, well, maybe you wait an extra month before you buy that TV because you're going to get a great discount on it and you don't, you don't get it right now, but you will. It's the holdout for the best possible price for your overall impression. CTV is still coming in around like $30. But I will say this, you know, within, and you know, as well as I do, the targeting capabilities within CTV and the digital elements, it allows you to narrow it down. So you're not just providing a blanket, you know, ad across an entire DMA. You're getting to narrow it down, you know, based on income or, or household area, um, education status, um, you know, where jobs, things like that, like all the, all the stuff that they don't want us to know that they can do, but they can do it. They can target that way. So it, at that point, is that worth it? I don't, you know, yeah. branding, yeah. branding, branding. hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. So I know the markets are going to completely dictate the, what your main recommendation is going to be, but if we could just have a range, let's say your in a, like a mid market, like a St. Louis, um, and, and well, Morgan just came. Oh, you threw out a they hard one. That they might have saturated it right, and Brown and Crouppen's yeah. there, and Schultz Myers. But I'm just trying to think, like, what's a what's a range? Like, what does someone a PI attorney has never done media buying? What kind of an investment do they need to be thinking about? And that's super broad. I'm gonna let you take it wherever you want. There, you need to be able to measure it by impression. So a good agency is going to be able to tell you, and, and the terminology is changing, by the way, from the broadcast TV and really TV in general. So what they've told us is no longer are we going to talk about rating points, gross rating points. And that was for the long, you know, my tenure. That's how you measured it. But now everybody's switching over to impressions because it's going to be able to unify everything across the board since, you know, the digital elements, they, they also measure by impression. So, but for the purposes of the audience, I just want to make that clear that it usually my benchmark is going to say 100 gross rating points per week is the whatever that equates to is going to be the absolute minimum investment and that's just for your one sector that's the absolutely just one or excuse me just one medium so whatever it costs to put 100 gross rating points on tv that's your minimum what what are we talking about are we talking 10 grand Oh gosh, four. Well, that depends on the market because of how many impressions are available. Additionally, you know, 
depends also if you're going to do it off of adults versus households. So we like to buy off of households instead of adults. That's just something, you know, inherently one TV per household. Gosh, you know, in some markets, Chris, you can go in for as little as 5K per week. And then in some markets, you need 5K to, to 50K to, to 100K right. a week. Really, it's it's how many households, what are you going to measure? And once you established your measurement, households, adults, men, whomever, how many of those are available? How much is it going to cost to reach a thousand of them? Get your CPM level on there and then get your gross rating points, get a hundred of those rating points per week. And that equates out. It's been a long time since I've done this. This is bringing back some memories. So we had Glenn Lerner on and we had James Farron on. And both of them were consistent on this. They said, hey, don't do TV unless you're going to saturate the market and be one of the top three. Do you think you have to do that? Because in some of the markets, saturating the market to be in the top three, when we're talking big bucks, but can you still have the impact and cut through the noise with maybe that minimal viable budget? I can understand why they said it. I can understand why they feel the need that if you can't completely saturate, then don't bother. But I also find it a bit misleading from the point that that's assuming you believe I'm going to be advertising exactly where you are. Typical market, you've got your your big five, your ABC, your CBS, your NBC, your CW, your Fox, your My. You've got your big networks on there. Are you saying that if you're going to completely saturate everything, A, I think that that... what define market saturation? Are you just leading? Are you leading in spend? Or are you leading with impressions? Because those are different. Additionally, like in order to do that, there's also a market cap. There's also at a point where you're spending way too much money. And a good agency is going to tell you when any dollar amount spent beyond this on this medium is not going to give you the ROI that you're looking for. It's actually, it's not really going to give you anything else beyond that. Whiteheart offers more than just media buying and crafting creatives that convert. For Mass Torts, they offer everything from lead conversion to signing cases. I wanted to know how their services work in tandem. Our um, national uh, program is something that has been evolving over, goodness gracious, I would guess uh, 2018, 2017. It was something where once Roundup came onto the scene, it was a pop for everyone. The industry itself has changed. And not to mention now there's a hot tort. And these torts come and go as what Kevin and Felix have told me. And Roundup was just the tort of the moment. And at that point, it was all hands on deck. We have to start offering more. Because at this time, we hadn't really dabbled into contract services. But we're hearing more and more about it. All of our clients are like, what do you offer to do the contract pursuit and to deliver, you know, sign retainers? And it just became a point where it's like, let's figure it out. Let's get it down. Let's work it out. It was an evolution, one that we're still working on. But from start to finish, it's your investment goes 100% to media. We break out the contract services piece separately. You know, we do that just to ensure that throughout the, we predict, we project how many cases, where we're going to come in, where we're going to land on. And that's how we know how to tell, to divvy up those funds. We do that because inevitably what's going to happen is there's going to be some trade. There's going to be some ebb and flow from the one piggy bank to the next piggy bank. But after that's established, then nationally, 
all your ads and all your creative assets are done at no cost. We are an agency. So by definition, we get the agency commission, right? So across the United States, any, any agency gets 15%. It's called gross versus net. And so we pay the net costs and then that's it. You know, why hard itself? We don't have a sales team. I don't make any additional commission. You know, the agency makes it, it that that's how we make our money off of your national investment. But then from there, the only other charges you're going to incur are going to be contract service related or if the call center minutes are completely out of hand, probably going down a bit of an unorganized tandem for you. But basically investment ads are made at no cost. Um, we deploy them weekly. So we make your media buys weekly and people are like, well, why do you do that? You don't pre-secure inventory across national networks for an, a year. How are you going to be sure that you have any place to air? It's fine. If there's going to be airtime, like Lord, I've never seen a moment when nobody could, sometimes they air their own ads. Like they'll just like, well, we got to put something in here. There's always going to be airtime and putting in an annual order for a such such a volatile market like national mass torts is counterintuitive. These torts, we don't know how long the hype is going to last. I'm not an attorney. I don't know when they're going to be settling. I don't even know when the spikes are going to be happening. So, you know, there, there was some stuff about talcum that came out, you know, all of a sudden it popped back up onto the scene as my number two top hot tort of the month. If I had planned 2022 with the forecast of 2021 in mind, I wouldn't have bought a whole lot of networks that would have reached the demographic after talcum powder. So we don't secure inventory based on an annual, which is in, it's not the norm for most agencies, but we've never had an issue with that. And the reason is we place weekly. We're in constant contact with our networks, with our vendors, we're pulling data. We have a big Wednesday meeting on our fourth floor, which is right above me. And it is just full of all national team members, we're all reviewing the latest results because with TV, we don't get clearance reports until the latest is Tuesday afternoon. And then we have to place orders on Wednesday in order to make Monday air logs. So it's like, it's a quick turnaround. It's fast and you have to be correct. You have to be analytical. You have to have your, your numbers in a box and everybody on board. Lot to it, and I gotta applaud the just the the operations, the processes, to make, and the communication to make that happen. I'm sure the relationships that you built over many many years make it easier from the communication standpoint, where other people jump new to the scene. The other thing that is kind of intriguing to me is there's a couple strategies I've seen: the Facebook ads getting the torts versus the the media buying, and and like just the different channels. And I guess every tort has its own competition. And are you seeing that the TV media buys still that lowest cost per acquisition? Is it kind of shift back and forth? Like what are, what are you seeing? Well, you know, it does, it does depend. So I will tell you uh, what we were doing jewel, for instance, TV ain't going to work. That's not your demo. You're communicating to those of Gen, is it Gen Z? I am a millennial, which just blows my mind. Um, so for Jewel, that Gen Z millennial generation, you can get some, but you can't, and it, it, it takes some time. So, you know, you have to strategize out from your initial, when, to, when you're, when you get a tour that's brand new to you, uh, you know, you do your research on it, you find out the demographic, you know, obviously, you know, the key injuries, everything like that. So you can better identify your audience. And from there, you divvy out based on medium and Jewel just seemed inherently digital, but we don't know until we know. So you get to give a little bit, give a little bit to TV, you know, and you parse it out appropriately. 
Then you have items like CPAP, where honestly, I thought for certain it was going to be a TV thing. And it doesn't do bad on digital. It doesn't do bad at all. In fact, it's about equal. And I will tell you from the contract pursuit side is a little bit different depending upon who it is. Because once you get into the older demographic and anybody above the ages of 65, they are very hesitant of sending personal information over the internet. So having that option of automatic sign or just, hey, give me a call. We, we also can call you right now and you can talk to a person and we'll get you a packet in the mail. That's something that we offer that we just inherently think that is should be an option. It should be brought up to the potential new client because don't lose a case just because you are forcing them to sign digitally because that's cheaper for you. That's not fair. Do you want a you know, good quality case? Then, then allow them the mail out. So establishing the demographic doesn't just allow you to know where to advertise to, but it also allows you to know the best operations you need to have in play in order to get the best conversion to sign case. I love the contract pursuit, the follow-up, the multiple mediums, multiple touch points. I think it's super smart. It's got to play into lowering the cost for acquisition on a whole. On the media buying side, I'm going to go back to that. I'm immediately thinking of like seasonality and holidays and Super Bowl, you know, other <sighs> times to avoid the elections and things come in and just blow up all the prices. Like, are there times to avoid, you know, the media buying side? Yes, but you already said it. So holidays and on it, I would have told you opposite. If it had been three or four years ago, I would have told you that no, send out reduced rates and inventory will free up at the end of the year. I don't know if it was COVID. That's my only thing that I can think is different four years ago to now, but this past holiday season was very, very difficult on TV. People were, I don't know if they weren't watching or maybe they were all tuning into the Hallmark channel just to get those good Christmas vibes. Like that, maybe that's what they were doing. And like, you try buying the Hallmark channel in December. I'm going to tell you, you ain't getting in. And if you are, you're paying way too much. Like it's just not happening. But yes, seasonality, 110%. But outside of that, outside of like Christmas or New Year's or um, you know, Thanksgiving, it's really, it flows pretty well. It's not something on TV, at least. Now that's nationally. Locally is a whole other ballgame, whole other ballgame. I mean, I want to know when spring break is. I want to know when fall break is. I want to know when they get out of school for winter. Are there any big happenings within the area? You know, for instance, like if there's some type of not just local political events, you know, obviously you have your, your state, your house, all the district elections. You have to be aware of all of it. Behind this beautiful facade is a big old whiteboard that I would just mark everything on. So every single client. And when I had it for local, I'm immersing myself in this area because I'm not boots on ground, but it's helpful to know. Like for instance, like where I'm from, the homecoming week, we had like two or like one high school, two high schools. So when they played each other during homecoming, forget it. Nobody's gonna be home. Everybody's doing the homecoming events that week. So being aware that's just in one county, but to give you an example of what we would yeah. look for within it. Yeah. It's nationally, that's not something we can't predict, you know, every single DMA spring break, we can kind of give it or, you know, at least the high, the, the median range and reduce some offers there. But for the most part, that's just a very key moment that you need to, to step back and acknowledge our, your audience again. 
you know, your Hallmark example makes me think of like John Rulin's giftology, right? He recommends not sending gifts during holidays, but when people don't expect it, because if you send gifts and everybody's sending Christmas gifts, you're, you're mixed in with everybody else, right? You don't stand out versus those yeah. times you can surprise and delight. It makes me think of just how saturated, you know, the Hallmark channel is when everyone's tuned in. So it's kind of the same thing. It's just getting those, it's attention arbitrage, a tangible versus, you know, TV and, and broadcast. What's next for Whiteheart? What's on the horizon? We do experiment. Like I said, CTV and OTT is something that, you know, we're definitely getting under our belt. But beyond that, it is about data. You know, we're sitting on just piles and piles of data. Um, you know, from everything from where our leads come through, everything that we do, your investment comes in on a particular line in our system. And it's associated with a group of 800 numbers. It's associated with you know, certain placements. We can follow your lead from the placement all the way through the signing, and it's connected the whole step of the way. That allows us to go back into time and not only reflect on, hey, this network was great, but what time did it air? What day of the week? Huh. Are we seeing that over time? Are we seeing that over history? It's the full map out of, of immersing yourself within the data and saying, okay, how can we replicate this great result? Beyond that, you go to contract services and you find that one network actually converts better over than other. Or maybe you've got a killer CPL on this one, but you have like 11% conversion. So actually the CPL kind of fools you into thinking that you had this, you know, great honey, a little honey hole, like a, the, what a fishing hole, but you don't because those cases didn't actually come to fruition. Those leads didn't convert. So it's not just looking at, you know, the lowest cost per lead, the lowest CPA. I want to dig deeper. And I think that I'm going to bring you back full circle now. I'm going to go back into auditing. And that's just because I'm so used to going through every single line, every single time period. Is this correct? Is this correct? I know what I'm looking for and I want to do better because I do believe that identifying the lowest cost per impression, cost per lead, cost per acquisition, all of that's going to stem back in this data somewhere. So what's next for us is the build, if you will, of, you know, fully connective systems, you know, working with these firms to say, hey, we're doing your leads and the contract services for you. You know, once you get down through this path and once we hand off these cases on your end, would you help us know which ones you're really excited about? Which ones you find are like, okay, this is, this is good. Maybe you haven't filed yet. I know the process takes a minute, but... Knowing all ahead, what I call like the gold standard, what you're really excited about, you want to see more of these types of cases, that helps me. That helps me do a better job for you because I'm going to take that, I'm going to take that, all you got to do, I'm just going to take that person's name. I go into my system and I say, all right, I know when we aired that spot. I know what ad we used. I know what time it aired. I know how long it took them to go from a lead to a contract. How can we replicate this for our firm? How can we do a better job for our national investors? Fantastic. Fantastic. And there's nothing more powerful than that when it comes to scale. So no. one final question here, Sarah. So where can yeah. people go to learn more? 
Oh man, that's our second thing. So we're actually, <laughs> so I've been doing this whole mass towards strategist and, and, you know, I was the national director of uh, the director of national media for the longest time. And, you know, we're growing and, you know, Whiteheart's like, Hey, you know, we don't really market ourselves. And, and it seems odd as an agency that we're not, you know, taking time to market ourselves. So they were like, Hey, um, so while you're doing all this, like, what about a little bit of business to business development, but also like content strategy. And I'm like, yeah, you know, why not? I, I'm honored. Like, yes, let's do it. So that's where it's kind of, you know, evolving out of, but all that to answer your question by saying we're in the works of a major, you know, upgrade to just internally pushing out and marketing Whiteheart as a whole. I want people to be able to click on our website and say, okay, I learned something today, or I know where to go. I know where to, you know, to call Sarah or to talk to Kevin, whomever. There are so many opportunities. And I think that like for me, I actually like to write. I pride myself on my email composition. And if any of my clients are watching this, they're going to laugh because I, they know that I really beat myself up over my poised um, responses. So knowing that I like to write, I was like, what? we should have a blog. We should have something you know, on here. Like, here's what to look out for. So where can you go to learn more? Well, obviously feel free to email me and just know that, you know, it's coming. I do love to talk shop. And that's where I find that most of my productive conversations come from. Um, and most of my well-meaningful connections that I've made have been just people randomly reaching out and saying, hey, can I just pick your brain on this? And those are my favorite conversations. Identifying where your demographic feels most comfortable is sometimes counterintuitive. Test to verify and reallocate funds often so that you can get the most out of your marketing budget. Smart spending will help newer firms gain traction in what can seem like a very saturated market. I'd like to thank Sarah from Whiteheart for sharing her story with us, and I hope you gain some valuable insights from the conversation. You've been listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm Chris Dreyer. If you like this episode, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from our listeners. I'll catch you on next week's PIM with another incredible guest and all the strategies you need to master personal injury marketing.